So you have people that don't want to be preached to. In our passage today, we're going to see Jesus is, is commissioning and sending out his disciples uh, two by two to begin on, on a pre short-term preaching mission trip. And we're going to learn that uh, sometimes when we go with the gospel, some people will receive it and other people will reject the truth of the gospel. The, the first six verses of, of Mark chapter 6 is really, uh, it's kind of a lead up to the following verses we're going to get into. But I want us just to read these first six verses. This is, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were astonished saying, where did these, this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And is not this the carpenter? He's, he's trying, they're trying to figure out how is this the same person, the, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? They took offense to him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out uh, among the villages teaching. Verse 4, Jesus is reminding us that a, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives. Sometimes it's difficult for a pastor to preach in his home church. My dad has said this many times. He says, I, I sometimes dread even to this day. And, and dad's getting ready to celebrate birthday number 80 on April the 29th, uh, this month, and uh, getting ready to celebrate the, the big milestone year, and he said, uh, it's, it's sometimes, he said, I'll go to preach there, and I'm like, I'm not sure how old these people are that tell him they remember when he was that little, but they must be 90, but I mean, he's turning 80, so if they remember him when he was that little, and the mischief that he got into, and you know, the apple doesn't fall far, but sometimes, you know, he says, I'll go back, and he says, they'll say, I remember you, and all the, you know, the, the, the mischief, mischievousness, and all the, the, the stuff you got into as a kid, and sometimes it's hard to go back and minister to your own church. I grew up here, so it's, I totally understand. Some people, you know, they, they have a hard time looking past the fact that you're not, you know, 10 years old, or you're not that teenager running around uh, doing pranks on people or whatever, and and so, but sometimes the most challenging people to minister to, and we can all identify with this in some area, is your own family. Maybe it's your own parents or grandparents or a cousin or a sister or whoever it may be. Sometimes the most challenging people that we're called to share the good news of the gospel with are the people that we're closest to. Sometimes you'll see a pastor and, and they'll have a, a wayward child or you'll see a you know, someone that uh, is a missionary and they'll have a child. That, my heart goes out to them because, you know, oftentimes they've heard the truth. They know the truth of the gospel, and yet they've chosen to go a different route. And when I, when I see that happen, folks, don't ever judge that person and say, well, that person must not be living a consistent example. Because oftentimes that child has heard the truth and somehow the devil has, has deceived them and caused them to think, Hey, that there's a better way. But folks, I, I'm reminded of the passages, tramp a child in the way that he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart. Sometimes they may have some periods of, of backsliding or straying, 
but thank God his, his, he's sovereign and he's over all and he's just and he's on the throne. And there, it doesn't matter how far our kids go from home, folks, Jesus Christ still knows where they're at. And I pray that he constantly surrounds our kids with godly influences, whether it be a, an employer or a, a professor or a neighbor or a, a roommate in college or, or in the military, wherever he places them, he puts godly people around them that can continue influencing them for good and, and not for evil. But sometimes the most challenging people we minister to can be family. And so that's what Christ is saying. In Mark chapter 6, let's continue reading in verse 7. He says, he called the 12 and began to send them out Two by two. Sounds like they're preparing to go on to the ark. Two by two. And he says, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave Shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Before we dive in, I think it's important to note that this passage has some interesting instructions. Because uh, Christ is saying before you go out, you're not going to take anything with you. Just a staff, just the sandals on your feet. You're not going with any provisions, but he was, there's a reason for all this. So, so before you read this and think, what in the world is Christ? What's this, uh, what's the reason behind this? But he's, there's, these 12 men are on an intense internship. Think about, he's discipling them, but they're in a job apprentice program because he's training them to launch the church, to help be a part of taking the good news of the gospel the most important message ever given. He's getting ready to entrust it into their care. And so he's, he's training them intensively. And he's, he's pouring into them, investing in them in their discipleship. And they heard a lot of preaching from Jesus. Now it's time for them to start putting it into practice. And, and you can imagine how nervous they must have been. But there, I think there's at least four reasons why I think Christ gave them these instructions and why it's maybe a little bit different today. They were initially only sent out to the, to the Jews, to the Israelites. In Matthew chapter 10, it's talking about go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. We'll talk about this in a later time. But he, early on, they were just going to the Jews. And then secondly, we see that they were, the next time they sent out the restriction of the no provisions, he reverses it the second time they go out. And we see in Luke chapter 23, he said, when I, when I sent out, said to go out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, he said, did you lack anything? They said, uh, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. Likewise, a knapsack. So on the second journey, when they send them out, he allows them to take stuff. But he, he wanted to prove that they could trust in God to meet their needs. They would truly be able to live by faith. Later, there was a mandate to go make disciples amongst all the nations and we see that in Matthew 28 19 and 20 we see that in Mark chapter 16 verse 15 we see that in Acts 1 8 as they're going in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the ends of the earth 
The early church also did not view these initial instructions as normal because sometimes they ministered in pairs, other times they did not. Paul financed his own ministry uh, being a tent maker. And so anyway, it's, it's, I think it's interesting to see how these directions in this text are not necessarily indicative of what we would do today, but we'll see how God is beginning to work. We see there's a, a method of teamwork as the Lord Jesus Christ is sending out his followers, his messengers. He's saying, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. And I'm going to send you out two by two to accomplish the work of the ministry. So there's a, a, a ministry of teamwork. You've heard the saying, teamwork makes the, the dream work. And so he's getting them encouraged about going out in pairs. Verse 7 says, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. The word for called has the idea of summoning them. He's, he uses began, it gives the sense that Jesus individually commissioned each one of these pairs as they're going out. He's calling them and, and commissioning, he's sending them. The Greek word is apostello or apostle, and it means to be thrust out. So when Je this was Jesus' plan all along. As he was recruiting the 12 to spend time with them, he said he was doing so that they might be with him and might be, he might send them out to preach the gospel. And it's a great reminder. We gather on Sundays in order that we might go out each and every day sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so he sent them out two by two, together, T-W-O-G-E-T-H-E-R, all right? So it's a together. He's sending them out in, in teams Jesus used the teams of two on at least a couple other occasions in Mark. Mark chapter 1, two disciples were sent to get the cult for Christ. And, uh, and then we see in uh, Mark chapter 14, he says, we learned that there were two that were told to get a room ready for the Passover meal. And John the Baptist sent out two. And in Luke chapter 7, Paul and Barnabas were sent out in pairs of two in the book of Acts. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. In other words, he's saying there's a, there's a reason why he's pairing us up and, and, and there's something he's trying to accomplish in and through. Here are some of the benefits of, of teamwork and ministry. There's a greater safety when you have a pair or at least two people. There's a greater safety when you're going out. There's people there to, to watch it. And there's also mutual accountability and encouragement. Sometimes you might not be feeling it one day, and, but the person that's with you is, is prayed up and God's really working. And, and they're going to say a word of, of encouragement or uh, keep you accountable. There's a blending of gift abilities that offsets the, the weaknesses of, of the other. And, I love how God equips each one of us uniquely because everybody didn't have the same gifting. So areas where I'm weak, you might be stronger. Areas where you're struggling, the person beside you is going to have, God's given them a, a real gifting in that area. And so we complement one, one another. We encourage one another with our gifts. And so he said, and then while one is preaching, the other can pray. I mentioned at my mom's service last Sunday afternoon um, that she was often the silent partner 
She was praying while my dad was preaching. And yet, but she was not a, a timid witness. She was bold. In fact, I, over the last week, I've heard multiple people say, I've been out with your mom uh, doing evangelism and sharing the gospel. And they said, man, she might be a little child on one, you know, in, in a group setting, but she was not shy in sharing the gospel. Like she would speak right up and give them the truth. And, and it's, it's awesome to see how God gives us boldness. And even areas where we're not so strong, he will use and encourage us with other people to help uh, do the work of the ministry. I love the teamwork that God has given us. Uh, in the church. I love how God is is equipping us to do the work of the ministry. Uh, I want to, I'm not looking for Jackson. There he is right there. Jackson, Matt, guys stand up real quick. I love the pastors that God has blessed our church with and how they are encouraging me and they're stretching me and challenging me. And it's a mutual thing for all of us to, to pray together and to see God work. And then, hold on, stay standing. I don't know. Uh, Jessica's right back here. Jessica, stand up. Where's Crystal at? Is she in the building this morning? She might be outside. Crystal's right there. Wave at us, Crystal, in the back. Her and Jessica. Um, they are encouraging. Where's Dwayne at? Where's is Dwayne? Stand back up, up back there. Uh, we have multiple staff members. We have uh, preschool teachers. We have, Where are our deacons and trustees? Let's have them stand up and their wives. Go ahead and stand up real quick. All across the building, we have people that are praying, that are encouraging that are helping minister and, and meet needs in the church, all right? And then we have volunteers, all right? All of those that are back there serving, let's have them stand up and join us as well. Uh, we have greeters. If you're a greeter uh, or somebody that works in the parking lot, stand up and join these people. All across, there's children's workers all over campus this morning. All right, you can be seated. But what I get the point is, is God uses us in groups. We're more effective as we minister to uh, the, the, the soloists, the, the singers, the musicians. And I love the Carolina Blue, by the way. But all of the, you know, all of the, can we just, just take a moment, you know. It was an awesome day, you know. I, I'm going to just uh, keep my mouth shut, but it's a great day. But uh, anyway, all of this is to say that God is equipping the church and using us as we minister together. I need you praying for me as your pastor. And over the last week, our family has really felt the prayers and support and encouragement of the church body. And folks, it's encouraging to know that you're not in this alone. We're, I think of our missionaries, and Pastor Omar was here just a couple Sundays ago. They're like global staff members. They're, they're going out and representing our church in, in the uttermost parts of the earth, and Pastor uh, Elijah is, is in uh, Romania, and they have Ukrainian refugees pouring over the border into uh, Romania, and they're ministering to them. And so, folks, as we're supporting their work and the ministry there, they're the hands and the feet of Jesus in that part of the world, that region of the world, that are helping take the good news of the gospel to them. I love the fact that, folks, we have partners all over the globe this morning. I wonder... Though, have you ever thought, like, how well did it go organizing? Is if you ever see in, in elementary school, you get on the playground and you're picking teams, and you've always got, you know, one team that seems like they're stacked against the other. You know, all the the, you know, the, the, the people have been playing for years. The fifth graders are, I mean, they they've got all the the tall people on the on the team, and 
This other team over here looks pretty wimpy and small. But, you know, you always wonder, like, how did Jesus pair up those disciples? I mean, who got doubting Thomas on their team? I mean, seriously. I mean, they're probably thinking to themselves, like, I don't want to be stuck with him. He's not even sure if Jesus is even real. I mean, I don't know if I want to be stuck on him. I mean, and imagine getting paired up with Judas. I mean, Simon. I mean, good grief. I mean, how, how much worse of a pick could, I mean, who drew the small straw and got him? I mean, you're literally thinking to yourself, why did I get stuck with Judas? I mean, of, of all people. I mean, so, but two or more serving together can do so much more than working independently. When Jesus sent out these teams, the last part of verse 7 says that he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. They were given power, permission to cast out demons. Or to say it another way, they had the right and the might to minister in the name of Jesus. They were able to multiply the ministry by serving in teams. And they got to experience the truth of John 14. Verse 12, he says, truly I say to you, whoever believed in me and also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. When you go with the gospel, some people are going to receive it. Others are going to reject it. But folks, that's why we've got to be working as a team because the devil's going to attack on every front. And folks, we've got to, we've got to work together. But there's also a, a second expectation. He's saying we've got to trust in God, trust in his provision, trust in his plan. And, and that's what's behind the reaction or the restrictions in verses 8 and 9. If you're wondering why did he tell them they couldn't bring food and, and money and all of these things. Verse 8, he says he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money. But to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Now, we're not going to get into dicing every single word of this. But the staff was a walking stick. The sandals were to protect their feet when they walk. And Jesus didn't want them to bring a backpack. He didn't want them to bring bread. Jesus didn't want them to do any of these things because he was going to teach them to rely fully on him. To trust God for every single thing. They were going to go lean and mean so that they might lean on the almighty God. It was time for these, these teams to put into practice what Matthew chapter 6 verse 31 says. Therefore don't be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. The, the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all but seek first what church the kingdom of god and his righteousness and what's that next phrase say all these what church say it one more time all these things the food the shelter the clothing all these things will be added unto you i've never been known for traveling light in fact when our family heads out on a trip, I probably have the heaviest suitcase. When I go on these mission trips with our teams, I mean, almost every time, you've been there with me. I mean, Steve, you've been there with me. I'm always pulling stuff out of this bag and putting it in this bag. And 
I mean, I always overpack. I mean, I, I might be going for a week, but I've got clothes for two. I mean, I'm just, I'm going to be prepared. And I mean, in my own defense, sometimes I have to wear a suit, even in Nicaragua when it's like 100 degrees. Everybody else is about dying over there. And I'm like, hey, wait a second. I've got on a suit, a tie, and a coat. I mean, I've got the whole, the whole shebang. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but even in areas where they had no roads that we hiked across the mountain, I had to wear a suit to preach the gospel at this one church. I'm like, really? I mean, there's not a suit store for hundreds of miles, and yet here I am with a suit. And I, I'll tell you, I donated that thing before I left that church. I ain't carrying that thing back down the mountain. You can have it. I mean, have the sweat, the suit, the tie, uh, shirt, the whole thing. I'm giving it all away, but... I always overpack. I always, and, and I hate, I get anxiety about packing for a trip. And I tell my wife all the time we're going on a vacation, I'm like, would you just pack my clothes? She's like, I've already packed four teenagers. I've done all the laundry. Everything is prepared. It's sitting at the front door. Just pack your bag. And I'm, I'm just, I wait till the night before and I, I get nervous and anxious and then I just start opening the drawers and throwing everything in there and I've got all these clothes and I don't need all those clothes and I always, I overpack, I always do it. George Mueller said this, he says, if the Lord fails me this time, it'll be the first time. So Christ was saying, don't bring all these extra things. I'm going to get you just to depend on me. I want you to trust me. Deuteronomy 25, 29, verse 6 is, tells us why he says that you may know that I am the Lord, your God. He wants them to understand that God has a purpose. John Haggai said this. He says, attempt something so great for God that unless he is in it, it's doomed to failure. That's the whole thing of expecting God to do greater things. We can't accomplish what he's called the church to do apart from his magnificent, awesome power. We can't do it without his power. The disciples were told to not only travel light, he says serve with a sense of urgency. Jesus gives some additional instruction in verse 10. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. They weren't to hop over to a bigger house with more, oh, this house has a pool. This house has, has hot tub. The, the temptation is always to seek comfort and luxury. But he says, God wants us to learn the secret of contentment. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says that godliness with contentment is what, church? Great gain. That's something that sometimes we as Americans aren't good at wrapping our mind around. That's why one of the... One of the re many reasons I want people to go on foreign mission trips is because you need to get outside of the American dream and see what God is doing around the world and the peace, the contentment, the joy on the faces of saints of God who have absolutely nothing and yet they're some of the happiest people on the planet. And you talk to people in the Church of America today and they're complaining about the lighting is too bright, or this is too loud, or this is not my preference, or they're not doing enough to meet my needs. And, and folks, the reality is people are dying without Christ, and we're worried about all of the wrong things. He's saying we, we've got to take the gospel to them. It, it, it takes teamwork. It takes trust. But he goes on, he says the third thing, he says it's a testimony, sharing 
our testament. A quote often attributed to Francis of Assisi says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's a clever quote, but folks, it's not that accurate biblically. The gospel is to be communicated with words. He says, go and tell, share the good news. There's something about living a lifestyle, but at some point, you and I are called to preach the gospel. We are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And folks, you say, well, I just believe whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved. No, Christ said, go, preach, teach, share, reach with the gospel. He's called us to go and be the hands of people. So yeah, we're going to do things to help people see Christ, but we're to share the good news of Christ. Verse 11 says, if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you when you leave. Shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. This graphic display has its roots in Jewish culture. When a Jewish man or woman would travel into a pagan land, when they would return, they would shake the dust off their clothes and off their sandals. And it was kind of like, man, I'm leaving all of that sin, all that filth, all that dirt, all that grime behind. I'm not bringing any of that back with me. The message, though, was anyone who refused them, who refused to listen to the preacher sent by Christ, was unclean in God's sight, as Gentiles were in the eyes of the Jews. And for, for Jesus to tell his disciples to do this to the Jewish people when they reject the gospel would have been extremely offensive. And so you're thinking, why in the world is he saying this? Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, ratchets it up. He says, it's, it would be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than that for that town that rejected the gospel of Jesus. Here's the principle. The more revelation that we've received, the more responsibility we have to repent and believe. Because to whom much is given... Much is required. So don't miss the whole point. The disciples were to do this with a broken heart, not a sense of glee. Some of you are like, man, I've talked to some people. When I get done, I'm like, woohoo! I mean, I'm going to brush off all that dust and, you know, get behind me, Satan. But that's not what he's saying. He says it's more of a, a sense of brokenness that people have rejected the gospel of Jesus. And some of you are like, I feel like that when I travel over to Durham, to Duke. I mean, I'm telling you one thing. I, be done with me. Click, get all that mess. I'm totally state fans feel the same way if they go near Chapel Hill or whatever. But yeah, you know, it's that's not what he's saying. He says, when you leave, he says, those that have rejected the gospel, he said it's it's more of a of a church discipline and the saying of, you know, I, I pity what God would do, the judgment that they're gonna face if they do not receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's important to keep in mind. A few will receive it, but most will reject the gospel. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. The way is uh, easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it, the word of God says, are few. 
Some will open their homes to hospitalities. Others will shake their fists with hostility. Some will listen when you preach. Others will lash out. Some will accept. Others will assault you. It happens right here in this country as well. Sometimes you share the gospel and boy, people will put up a wall. Boy, they're, they're cold as ice and they want nothing to do with the gospel. And, but you know what happens? Oftentimes, in times of tragedy, times of great trial, people will start to say, I don't even believe in God. You know who they go to when they're facing a, a great trial in their life? They go to the person who has peace with God. Who has a relationship with, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family? Would you pray for this person? You're a, you're a religious person. You're a spirit. And I always know that they know who to go to. Why? Because they see the peace of God that reigns in our heart, in our life. John chapter uh, 16, it says, this world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What an awesome thing to know today. Jesus Christ overcame it. Mark 13 says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And uh, Paul sums it up when he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what, church? Persecuted. He said, just go ahead and. Know that it's going to come if you're going to live for God. If you're going to choose to follow Jesus, you're going to face periods and times of persecution. After being restricted, what they could take with them. After being told many's going to reject them. Then Christ sends these teams out, two by two, to give a bold testimony of Jesus Christ. And calling them to repentance. And verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should Repent. They were told what to take, where to stay, what to say. But even after knowing this, that some are going to receive, some are going to reject, they still preached repentance. You've got to repent of your sin if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's how it works. To repent means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. When you can say, I'll stop doing the things that I should not do and will begin to do the things that I should do. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, John the Baptist preached repentance. In Mark chapter 1, uh, out of Jesus' mouth, he says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And in Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, he says, Repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of of Jesus Christ. And so here they're calling people to repentance. Verse 13 says, they cast out many demons. They anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The disciples learned that Jesus' power extended beyond his personal presence because they were now representing him. These exorcisms, these healings served to confirm the message was truly from God and say, Pastor, how do we land the plane? When we go with the gospel, some people are going to naturally receive it. Some people are going to receive the, the message of hope and salvation and others are going to reject it. But folks, we must learn to be faithful to go forth together for the sake of the gospel.
Because sometimes you're like, man, I think I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to, you know, Pastor Dave is going to preach the gospel. I mean, we're just going to leave that to him. You know what that would look like? The church would never grow because it would be all up to one person. You see, what happens is, is, is we begin to engage more people and sharing the good news of the gospel and go out two by two and go into the marketplace and the workplace and the, the place of school or education. As we begin to go in the various neighborhoods and communities and the new Chick-fil-A across the street, believe it or not, there's people in there that, need, that need to know Christ as their Savior. Dunkin' Donuts. There's people that need to know Jesus Christ as Wingstop. The lady over there told me today, I know I've met your entire staff. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you can tell. Uh, we've been eating there. Uh, but, you know, the reality is, is people need to know that Jesus loves them. And he died on the cross. It makes possible a relationship with God the Father. Folks, it's myself and Pastor Jackson and, and Matt are praying and and helping lead the we need other people like other staff and officers and volunteers and church members and i told them i wasn't gonna do it this morning but we need fifth graders that are serving in our tech ministry this morning to engage we were watching it carolyn duke they must fight and my son who's taking Adobe classes in school, he was telling me the different cam camera angles that were happening. And I was like, you know what the different camera, yeah, th this was this, and he was telling me this one and this one, and every time it would change, he would tell me what the different camera angle was. I was like, you know about that stuff? He's like, yeah. Like, you need to talk to Matt. So we have some new cameras that are coming in in a couple weeks, and I said, we need some people that can figure out how to run them, and we need people who can manage which angle you're getting so that those of you that are watching online can get the best presentation of the gospel that you could possibly receive. I was like, they need to hear, they need people who can work back there on computers and, and, and help with the technology, people who can play and sing and, and serve in all kinds of capacities to help carry the message of hope and salvation. We must learn to be faithful, to go forth together for the gospel. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. It's a vapor. Don't just put it on auto drive and say, you know what, Pastor David, I'm just kind of here for the for the the show. I'm just I'm waiting for something crazy to happen. You know, I, I'm waiting. No. Don't waste your life. Over the last week, I was at four funerals. A 98-year-old, 98 and 7 months, dad and I led. Oldest church member of our church. All the way up to the very end, still tithing. Should call me and ask you if I've been saved recently. Tell me what God's doing up there. She moved to Houston years ago to be by her son and in her failing health. And she's like, I, I want to hear what God's doing. And y'all take any more mission trips? Well, 
I love that. Brad Mason did his service a week ago Saturday, 53 years old. Life is a vapor, folks. We don't know when our last moment here on my mom's funeral last Sunday, my uncle's funeral on Wednesday, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, we, we, we're done with funerals. We, I, we're done. But you know, the reality is he says, don't coast through life. Live with urgency, not complacency. Finish strong. Because folks, I want to hear my Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. Redeem the time. Tell yourself that everyone you meet is either going to heaven or to hell. Contemplate the horrors of hell and do all you can to help people go to heaven. Attempt to meet one new person every day. Take a picture of this. There's a typo in there, but take a picture of it. And have a conversation, a spiritual conversation with them. And folks, it'll push us out of our comfort zone. Suddenly, that person you're riding up the elevator with is a captive audience. <laughs> what if you just started looking at us? That pastor, I, I work on the 24th floor of the whatever building downtown. Well, on your way up, you've got an audience. Talk to them. Share the good news. You're in a waiting room while a loved one's having surgery. There are a lot of people in that room that are suffering. There's a lot of people in that room that are crying. What if you say, can I pray with you this morning? You never know how God may use that moment in time to change their eternal destiny. Attempt to meet someone new and have a spiritual conversation. Together, God wants to do greater things through his church. And church, he uses us to accomplish his plan. He uses you and me to accomplish those greater things. I love that because God doesn't need us, but he's willing and welcome. He wants to use us for his glory. May we be prepared. May we be prayed up. May we be ready that God might use us this week. And together as a church, may we reach our city and the world in a way Raleigh's never seen. You drove in the church this morning, two weeks ago. We did a prayer walk in this neighborhood. Anybody noticing anything? Dude, that's a house that's already, it's already framed up, folks. I mean, those people probably be moved in in about three weeks. I mean, it takes about two days to build a house now in Raleigh. But I mean, they're throwing up so fast. There's going to be people walking across the street. And you know what I want to do? There, may there be a receiving line of people that are they're high-fiving them. They got those Mickey Mouse hands out there waving at them, welcoming them in, and, and showing the love of Jesus Christ in a way. May they see something so contagious, they can't wait to get here and experience the life-changing power of Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning?